11th verse to the end of it. I would like to say this. We have had some visitors that have come in our midst. One family has come pretty regular. I noticed they're not here tonight. We had a new one this morning that expressed an interest. Uh, a lady, they just moved from here, from Ohio, I believe it is. And uh, it might be good for some telephone calls, visitations, or something from some of the ladies here and uh, keep on track of these people because there's too many things out in this world that entices them and they need to know that we love them, that we care about them and that we want them to continue to come. And you know how it is with us who is settled in this. It doesn't take much sometimes to sidetrack us. So you can imagine what would be going on sometimes in the heart and mind of individuals is just trying to get started. Going to be everything in the world that's going to uh, work on them and work on their heart and work on their mind. So it's going to take some diligence and some effort and some, some concern. So you get them on your mind and pray for them. And also, one I don't believe as yet has a telephone, but they live down there by the Christian church. And it might be good if we just, some of the ladies, uh, get together and just go visit her. All right, reading from the 27th chapter, the 11th verse. Psalmist David is writing a lesson to us. As he says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over into the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And Father, it's a glorious privilege to be able one more time to stand behind your sacred desk. Although so often flesh rebels against it and it's not its desire, yet it's the desire of the spirit that dwells within to fulfill the calling that you have placed upon my life. Father, I'm just a vessel, I'm empty. I need you, I need your anointing, I need your feeling. I need your words, Father, I need your mind. I asked for that tonight. Father, and I pray that you would move upon me with the Holy Spirit. You would anoint me with word to speak, O oh God. And I pray also that you would speak to the heart, the life of those who listen. Father, might some way or somehow we realize the sacredness of the glorious privilege to come into the house of God, lift up our voices, lift up our hands, lift up our heart, and then tune our ears in to what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Father, I pray that we would be receptive to your word. Pray, Father, that you would anoint ears, God, that they might be open, hearts, Master, that they might find themselves entwined with thine, soul, O oh God, that cries out, that says, God, how can I be a better servant for you? Father, might all these things be in all of our lives and all our hearts, and might this be our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't have anything tonight that is earth-shattering. I don't have any new things. It's hard to find new things in the Bible. But I do have something that God spoke to my heart just about two hours before I came to the house of the Lord. That I would like to share with you. I read this one particular scripture to 
let you know that David stresses the importance of believing. In all of David's writings, whatever he points out, you'll find out that he stresses the importance of believing. We use this one scripture often as in funeral services where David said, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we often stress that David was not talking about the land that he was living in at the time. He was not talking about the world he was living in at the time because if that's all the hope he had, he wouldn't have been able to make it. And so he was actually talking about the land of the living, which is the kingdom of God. Because you look around us and there's death everywhere, so this could not be the land of the living he's talking about. But in the kingdom of God, and he said, there was times in my life, and my experience as great a man as he is, that I simply would not have made it if I had not believed. If I had not believed. If I had not believed. Now, some way, if nothing else, Tonight sinks into your heart, you have to believe. You have to believe what the Spirit says to the churches. You have to believe against all odds that God is God, that beside Him there is no other, and that He is still our refuge and our strength and our shelter in the time of storm, even when we're being rained on. We have to believe that. And so belief is of the utmost importance. Talking to several people this week, Christians and non-Christians, and there's one thing that seemed to dominate a conversation is people is desiring to be happy. Everybody you talk to, they're looking for happiness in their life. If they're not a Christian, if they're a sinner, there's still something about their conversation that lets you know that in their life and in their own way, they're seeking happiness. Some seek happiness in their work. Some seek happiness in a bottle. Others seek happiness in shooting up. Others seek happiness in just uh, plain old running around. And some just seek happiness in being selfish. And as far as that's concerned, every child of God wants happiness. There's not one of us here tonight that isn't in some way somehow seeking happiness in our life. Because we've become a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that we recognize all the problems are solved. We still have them. And in the midst of all of these, there's loneliness, there's unhappiness, there's sickness, there's disturbances, there's depression, there's oppression. So many things that you can mention that comes into the heart and life and soul of a Christian. And when you talk to them, you ask, what do you want in life outside of being able to make it into the kingdom of God? Their answer is usually, I would like some way to be able to sort through this maze of this world and find some peace and contentment and some happiness. I began to think about that all week, and I've jotted down some notes, and it wasn't until about two hours before Uh, that God was able to piece them together for me. And I thought, God, in the midst of all of this, when every heart is crying for happiness, how do we find happiness? I began to search the Scriptures, and sometimes when I look at what God has written to us and how God tells us happiness comes, I just almost want to shut my Bible 
turn around and say, God, it can't be. In fact, when I read some of the scriptures that tell us what happiness ought to be and when it ought to be, I just want to look up in his face and say, God, that can't work. That simply will not work. And yet, all throughout the Bible, and I'm not going to take you from Genesis to Revelation because we wouldn't have time, but I want to pick out some pertinent scriptures and I want to point to you the audacity that Christ has in pointing us to the ways of happiness. Shatters your imagination. It stomps upon old flesh. And it lets us all know that perhaps we have been seeking happiness in the wrong direction. That perhaps happiness was really available for us all the time and we just didn't realize that it should come from that direction. Jesus tells us everywhere that you can be happy anywhere, in any situation, at any time, if you believe. Amen? All you've got to do is search out the Scripture, and it's there. And uh, that's a challenge sometimes to our faith. And the whole thing is, and I want us to get it again, if you believe. Thomas David said, I can't make it if I don't believe. I've got to get my mind upon something that is not here. Got to get my eyes upon something they cannot see. I've got to set my heart upon something other than what the heart of man desires. And if you believe, you can be happy any time, you can be happy any place, and you can be happy in any situation. And God began to direct my thoughts to the life of some of his workers in the past. I wondered if they viewed what God was telling them in the area that we view it in. I find the Apostle Paul, after his calling, after that he had been struck down on the road to Damascus, and Jesus looked at him and told him that he was going to witness before kings and all types of authorities. I wondered if at the time if Paul really realized actually how he was going to witness to those individuals. If somebody was to tell us that we was going to be witness to a king, we'd get visions of grandeur and splendor, wouldn't we? We would begin to imagine how great we would be, royal in robes approaching the throne of a king in order to witness to him. I don't doubt what the Apostle Paul had the same idea. And you watch this boy as he goes on, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, being true to his calling in all things, and watch the happiness and his exuberance as he sees people come into the kingdom of God and he sees their life changed. And then you see this individual called the Apostle Paul that is challenged by his teaching. He is seized by the very ones that should have recognized who he was by the Jews, and they bound him with chains, and they threatened his life, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin, and he was forced to defend himself, and then after he did this, there was a conspiracy to kill him. And now I want you to listen to what happens in this individual's life. In verse 11 of Acts 23, it says, And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Now what can you imagine that the Lord would say to his apostle in a time like this. 
And when we recognize what we think that God should say to us in predicaments far less than this, it is earth-shattering what the voice of God says to this individual. The voice of God boomed down from heaven and it simply said, Be of good cheer, Paul. <laughs> in other words, God was saying, Paul, now I want you to be happy. I want you to be of good cheer. I want you to think about the audacity of a God that's supposed to love us at places or allows this individual to be placed into that situation and then he appears to him when his life is threatened and when his whole world is crumbling down and he says, Paul, I want you to be happy. And then he turns around and says, Paul, you've testified at me in Jerusalem. And Paul knew what that got him. And he said, but that's not all. You're going to be able to bear witness about me in Rome. In other words, what God was saying, Paul... I'm sending you into torment. Before it's over with, you're going to dwell in dungeons. Before it's over with, you're going to be stripped of all your friendship and your friends. And before it's all over, you're going to give your head for the kingdom of God and I want you to be happy. Wake up. Brother Alvin, you doing all right? Brother Dale? Brother Roushey, everybody doing fine? Now, what he's trying to tell us is happiness doesn't come the way we're seeking it. Amen? What he's trying to tell us is we are seeking something that is temporal. We're wanting something that will make us feel good for today. But God is trying to tell us real happiness comes when we can lay up treasures in the kingdom of God and go beyond this veil of tears and lay up those things and know and after this life is over, then we're going to find eternal life everlasting. And he looks at us and says, you're looking for happiness in the wrong place. You're looking for it in the wrong situations. And he's telling us more or less that whatever our calling brings us, if it brings us prisons, if it puts us in bondage, if we lose our friendships, some way, somehow, he expects... Now, that's in the Bible. I didn't write it. But he expects us, as he did the Apostle Paul, to be happy about these situations. Now, you're not necessarily happy because you're suffering, but you are happy because you know that you found out what the goodness of God is in your life and what your calling is, and you're fulfilling it. You're happy because you are close to God enough to know that He sent you where you're supposed to be. You're happy about that. Now, Paul's going to Rome, and he's going to Rome a prisoner. And God says, be happy about that, Paul. Now, I want to ask us how many of us would be happy to be a prisoner. We're seeking happiness in another direction, aren't we? We're looking for something to make us feel good today. What about eternity? You see, happiness is only found, and God's trying to tell us that, happiness is only found in fulfilling God's calling upon your life. 
Happiness is only found as you fulfill what God has got for you in the kingdom of God. As you find your place in the body of Christ and do those things, happiness is only fulfilled then. Oh, sure, you can find something to laugh about, something to be joyous about, and we can be on top of the mountain one day that that type of happiness is fleeting. It's gone the next day because the devil bombards you and knocks you from the pinnacle of the mountain. And you're not happy anymore. And Christianity, how do we be happy? How do we find it? And the Apostle Paul found it in obedience to the Word of God and finding what God had in store for him and walking in the presence of God. And so the Apostle Paul listened to the voice of God. Very seldom at any time do you ever hear the Apostle Paul complain about his predicament. He doesn't mumble. He doesn't moan. He doesn't groan about where he's at. All he asks is for God to give him a chance to either pray for somebody or write to somebody or witness to somebody and he's happy to do that. The Apostle Paul found happiness some way he managed it. I stood there and I looked at that man's life and I thought, boy, I've got a long way to go. If I ever imagine I was about there, then I've got another saint coming. I've got a long way to go. To imagine that he could sit down in that, that, that uh, misery and mire and muck of sin and degradation and have the whole world taken away from him and still believe that he had his hand in God's unchanging hand and be able to rejoice. And Paul heard the voice of God and he was cheerful. He was glad. And you'll see him in his writings. He was sad because people didn't believe him and he was glad because God gave him the opportunity to reach. And now he's sending him to Rome. And then way down deep inside, Paul knows he's going to his death. He certainly knows he's a prisoner. He certainly knows that he's going to spend some time. He certainly knows that there'll not be another waking hour but what he's going to be a prisoner of Rome. He knows that this is it. Oh, sure, he dwelled in his own house, but he was still under guards. He couldn't do everything he wanted to do. And Paul realized this. I want to ask you what type of a God would give you orders to be happy in this situation. And yet he did that to the Apostle Paul. And not only did he do that to him, and he did that to many others, and they received that. And not only that, but he has asked us to take these as an example, and he's telling us, whatever situation I put you in, I want you to be happy that you're there because you're fulfilling your duty as a Christian. It would be easy to take the high road and a lot of Christians is looking for it. It would be easy just to deny the fact that God wants something out of us. And this hard flesh rebels against it, it will never accept it. But the thing the Apostle Paul had to realize is that every day, that he woke up in that dungeon, woke up with handcuffs on him, woke up in stocks or wherever he woke up at, he woke up with the idea that flesh could have no say in his life that day. The Spirit had to rule it. And that's the only way he could stay happy, and that's the only way we can stay happy. You see, you can give flesh whatever it wants, and it's happy for a moment, and then it gets tired of it, and it wants something else. Now, you know that as well as I do. 
It's hard to find happiness as far as flesh is concerned. You, you earn wages. You don't, you're happy for a while. And then the first thing you know, you're, you're not making enough to go around. You want some more. You get another raise. You get another job. You do something else. And it's good for a while. And then the first thing you know, everything is going to rise again. And God is trying to tell us through the Apostle Paul that wherever you're at, wherever he places you, you need to be a prisoner. You see, Paul never considered himself a prisoner of Rome. Not any time. He said it so often, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he could be happy. It's because he felt that he was a prisoner of Christ. Here he is on his way to Rome. Everything isn't hunky-dory there. <laughs> Heard some good testimonies tonight, and I thought, God, you're really talking to us. It's raining on the just and the unjust. And the Apostle Paul is in a, in a, in a boat. He told them not to leave. He said there's a storm there, but they left anyway. But he was on the ship, and then there was a life-threatening storm. Yes. Now, can you imagine? Paul, I told you to be happy. Paul, I told you now that you've got to be of good cheer. Paul, now look, in all of this, you've got to be happy. Now, I ask you tonight, how many of us with storms in our life can look in the face of that storm and lift our hands to heaven and say, thank God for the opportunity to be proven of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul, knowing the ship is sinking, and God didn't come to him. God came to him, all right, but he didn't say, Paul... I'm going to bring that ship safely to shore. He didn't say that. He just simply said that the ship is going to be broken up. Now imagine yourself in a ship. And imagine yourself in a storm. And imagine yourself with the Word of God coming down in the night and telling you that the ship is going to be broken up. There's nothing you can do about that. And still ringing in the Apostle Paul's ear is the voice of God that says, Now you be of good cheer because I'm sending you to Rome. You would think if God sent him there, he ought to just get there with grace and ease. That's what we think. If God tells us to do something, why he ought to just clear all the thorns out of the path and grade that road and black, road and black top it and make it easy for us to get there. But he's never done that. And he never will do that because he tests our intestinal fortitude as to whether we really believe him or not. Right. And we're called in question many times about our belief in God. Yes, and so the storm is there. They're throwing everything overboard. They're getting the weight out of the ship. They think it's going to happen. And the Apostle Paul comes on board and he stands in the midst of the crew and he says, Now be of good cheer, everybody. Come on. I want you to look at the ignorance of this man. Ship sinking. Storm is life threatening. And he comes in the midst of these unbelievers, his captors, and he says what God told him. He said, Now you be of good cheer. Now, Paul. We respect you. Uh, and you've kind of proven yourself to us on this voyage. And I realize you told us we shouldn't sail, and we can see that. But to be happy, to be glad, 
Paul, you got to be kidding. There ain't no way we can... Why are you telling us that, Paul? And Paul says, because they stood by me this night an angel of God whose I am and whose I serve. And he told me that not a one on this ship is going to be lost and I believe him. That's why I'm happy because I believe him. That's why I rejoice. It's because I believe him. Not because circumstances says it and because God said it. Oh, thank God because he said it. And his word is true and it's a reality. And I think I can rejoice in it and I think you can too. Well, glory. Hallelujah. I didn't find that in the note. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why he said, now he said, now I'll tell you what's going to happen. The ship's going to break up. But I want you to get you aboard. I want you to get you a plank and I want you to hold on for dear life because God's going to get us to the shore. God's going to see that we get here. Friend, this old ship of life may break up on us and waves might overflow. I mean, what we've been riding in might disintegrate because this world is going down and I want you to get you aboard. I want you to get a hold of something because God is going to bring us to the shores of the eternal kingdom of God. You get a hold of something and you hold on to it. I think the Bible says, Hold fast to that which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Hallelujah. Get a grip on something. God's going to get us to the shore. He's going to take us there. We might get a little wet. And we just might get a little fearful. But he says to these people, Now then, you better be happy about this. It's not over yet. The minute he gets on there, now this is in God's will, if you imagine all of this in God's will. Now, if you think you've had a rough time, look at Paul. If you think you've had a rough way to hold, you need to follow this man's life. And yet ringing in his ears all the time, it's the voice of God that says, you be happy, Paul, because I'm going to get you to Rome. I'm going to get you to Rome. And when he was about ready to drown, he heard the words of God that says, I'm going to get you to Rome. And friend, let me tell you something. When God spoke assurance into our life and we started out for him, he said, yeah, I'm going to get you into the kingdom of God. And when our ship sinks, he still says, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you there. And he will. If we believe. If we believe. If we believe. David said, I had to believe. I had to believe. There wasn't any evidence there. Any place. But he's on an island. Shipwrecked. He's not in Rome. What do you mean, Lord? What are you talking about? This is not Rome. This is Malinus. This is a little old island. Nobody, I don't probably don't even know where we're at. And you told me explicitly I was going to Rome. What about it? God, I think he probably said that, and I think God just said, be happy, Paul. <laughs> be happy. <laughs> be of good cheer. Just go ahead about your business. Do what you got to do. So they were gathering firewood. They needed to keep on. 
And so a viper got on his arm. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, they looked at him and said, Well, uh, he can't cheat death. <laughs> He's going to die now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, he should have died. And the Apostle Paul just shook it off. Shook it off. <laughs> I heard a message on that one time. You know, it would be good if we could just do the same thing. Hey man, if some viper or some, some dissatisfying thing gets on us and somebody gets on our case, just shake it off. Just shake it off. Just realize it doesn't mean anything. Nothing must get in the way of us and our march into God's kingdom. Amen. Paul just shook it off into the fire. They stood there looking for him to die. <laughs> How can you die when you got life in you? How can you die when you got God's promises out of yours and they haven't been fulfilled yet? I think that's why eight years of my life I spent in misery and everybody said I would die. But there was something inside that remembered some promises that God gave me and some things He told me that I was going to do. And I always said, God, how can I die with these things unfulfilled? And God says, I'll be with you. And He was, and He is, and I glorify His name, and I worship Him tonight because He'll see us through. If you believe... Oh, I know this is boring to some of you. God bless your old soul. Hallelujah. But you do have to believe. You do have to believe. Some way, somehow, you've got to get past this curse of this flesh that doubts everything and all of this malarkey that's going on over the airwaves. That you're just such a privileged person that God will move all the barbed wire and all the thorns and, and everything else and He'll just pave your road and He'll give you a Rolls Royce to drive up in Him. God help us. Friend, that is failing. That won't last. That can't last because that's not the road to Calvary and that's not our road to the kingdom of God. Paul gets to Rome. And he witnesses. <laughs> he was so happy about it and so enthused about his God. And you've heard this before, but let's go over it again. But they changed guards every so often to keep Paul from converting them to Christianity. Now, friend, he had to believe in something more than those chains. He had to get past himself. He had to hear the words of God. Matthew 14, one of the most blessed chapters there is in the Bible. It talks about God speaking to his disciples and commanding them to get in a boat and go on the other side. You've heard it. You know what I'm talking about. And as they went in that boat, there came a storm. And a ship was tossed with waves, the Bible says, and the wind was con Fear gripped their heart. Jesus appears. Yeah. Yeah. 
Out of every cloud of darkness, if you'll just look, you'll see Jesus. He's out there. And in the midst of that storm, Jesus looks down on that weary band of disciples that's weary from rowing, trying to salvage their life and salvage their boat. And He appears to them in the midst of the storm. And what does He do? He doesn't wave His arm and say, Peace be still. That's not what He does first. What He does first is try the faith. And He looks at those disciples and He says, Be of good cheer. Be not afraid. And everything screams out against that. Because when Jesus asked that of those individuals, the storm was still there. And the boat was still sinking. And the dark clouds were still there. And the waves and the thunder were still rolling. And yet Jesus comes and says, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be happy. Why does He say that? Because He's there in the midst of a storm. And they're able to see us through the storms of every life. Hallelujah. And once they grasp hold of that, then He waves His arms and dismisses the storm. And He wanted them to believe that He was God of all gods. Hallelujah. Friend, we've got to believe when He comes into our life in the midst of despair and says, look at my face and be happy because I'm here. He wants us to know that He's there and He wants us to believe in Him enough that nothing else needs to be other than Jesus is there. It's where His soul cries for that. It's for humanity to believe. Nothing need change. Nothing need change. The only thing that should have to change is for Jesus to come in the midst of our storm and say, don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm here. And that ought to be enough. I said, that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough to make us happy. To know and to believe. And a God of all gods who needs nothing or no one can see our life in despair and in disarray and disorganized and in a storm. And He comes and says, I haven't forgotten you in there. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. And I'll see you through it. I'll walk every step of the way with you. I won't move the storm right now. Not until you believe. I would have fainted. Really now, Jesus. Really now, you surely don't expect those disciples to be happy when nothing has changed. Circumstances is just like they was. But Jesus meant just that. He looks out over the storms of our life. Hallelujah. And watches us struggle. And watches us try to get to land. And He comes and lets us know that He's riding the highest wave. And He's in that storm with us. And if we'll just look up to Him and know that He's the one most likely that sent us into that storm. That's what the disciples had to realize. Is that He told them to get in a ship and go on the other side. And if He didn't mean for them to go on the other side, He wouldn't have said it. And that's what He's told us. Get in this ark of safety. And go on the other side. 
get to the other side. And if he didn't think we could make it, he wouldn't have told us we could. And there are going to be a lot of times when the waves are going to be higher than we can see, when the skies are going to be dark, and when the clouds become thick, and when it just looks like our little frail boat is simply going to sink, and Jesus just comes and whispers and says, It's all right. I'm in this thing with you, and you're not going to sink. You're going to get to the other side because I told you you could. I told you you could. Hallelujah. James makes quite a statement. Because he tells us what to do when diverse temptations come. It's within our heart that every temptation should be removed from us. And it's within our heart to grumble sometimes and complain when we're tempted. Now, God doesn't tempt us in the sense of tempting us. He tests us. But the only way we're tempted is when we're drawn away with our own lust and enticed. But God does test us. Now, that that is uh, translated tempt on all, all occasions but on some occasions he's talking about being tested and the Lord does test us he tests us when he lets it rain on us and it doesn't rain on anybody else amen he tests us when everything's stripped from us and our neighbor next door to us is just living and there's no problems whatsoever he's asking us to believe in him He's asking us to believe. He has that audacity to ask us to believe that our kingdom is not of this world. That what we get, we can't take with us. And he tries to get us to build us something eternal into the heavens. And James addresses our temptations as he says, My brethren, count it all joy. <laughs> when you fall into diverse temptations, seems to me like he's trying to tell us that we have to be happy. <laughs> now we should really be happy. And he says, knowing this. In other words, he's saying, now there is a reason why God tests you. And if you can find that reason and know that that is the reason, then there is joy in the inner man. He says, knowing this, that the trying on your faith worketh patience. And God only knows we all need patience. Give me patience and give it to me right now. I want it now. Give it to me. And uh, <laughs> I heard one individual say, Well, I, I really do. I've been praying to God that He'd give me patience. And you know what I got? I got tribulation. Absolutely, I said. Naturally, you're going to get that because tribulation works patience. You can't have patience without tribulation. Amen. That's the reason why sometimes we got people like an emery board. I mean, they just rub us and rub us and rub us. I think that's my job to some of you. It just irritates you. Amen. And it just, 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 just irritates you enough. Try you enough. <laughs> that you learn how to be patient. Hallelujah. Even when you get 50, Brother Ray, you have to learn. You're not too old to learn how to be patient. Praise the Lord, if you haven't learned that, I'm a little bit older than that. 
But I'm still learning. Praise the Lord. But my wife helped me a lot on that. We've got one good brother. You know what he calls her? He calls her Sister Tribulation. <laughs> and I said, I live with tribulation. She said, that tribulation doesn't come. I live with it. You know that the trying of your faith. Hallelujah. And so you see, if you believe in the rapture... <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> I've been left here to go through it. And we still got 30 minutes. Are we going to quit on this? Peter talks to us. Peter has a right to talk to us. Peter knew from the time that Christ accepted him back as a disciple and later as an apostle how he was going to die. Peter carried that all through his ministry and all through his life. It's enough to dishearten a man. But Peter had some words and he says, but if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. Happy are you. Now turn it around and listen to us. But God, all I've done is just live for the truth. All I did was just preach the truth and nobody likes me. God, I'm so sad. I'm so weary with this thing. And I've just did it for you and we have. And that's fine, but we ruin it all. Because Peter says when we do this and we suffer for righteousness' sake, you need to be happy. And he said, don't be afraid of their terror and don't be troubled. Just don't, whenever they get that wild look on their face, and when they look at you in disbelief and curse you out, he says, you don't worry about that. You just be happy that I presented you an opportunity to witness to somebody about the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You be happy about that. And then he says, now if you're reproached for the name of Christ, you need to be happy. And James says it again. He says, behold, we count them happy... <laughs> Which endure. <laughs> I thought, boy, you got a strange way of talking, man. <laughs> you're enduring, and you're enduring, and you're supposed to be happy. The Bible says there'll come a time when they won't endure sound doctrine. <laughs> when you have to endure it, you have to be happy about it. Not only do you have to endure me, but you have to be happy about it. Not only do I have to endure you, but some way he's saying you've got to be happy about this. Because we're all in this thing together. And if you're not happy and you don't know how to be happy, you live a miserable life. And not only do you live a miserable life, but everybody around you does too. In closing, Paul, if he be the writer of Hebrews, lets us know 
how Jesus did it. And if we know how Jesus did it, then we'll know how he expects us to do it. And he writes first as if he's seen all of our lives. And he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, there's witnesses everywhere that scream out about a life that's been far worse than ours. And he said, Lay us lay aside every weight and the sin with dust so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus shows us how we can be happy even in the worst situations. Jesus you're mutilated you've been whipped an inch of your life you've been disgraced you've been deserted you've been up all night you've been stripped of all the decency that you ever had They've spit on you. They've laughed at you. They've slapped your face and plucked out your beard. They've nailed nails in your hand. They nailed them in your feet. And you didn't say a word. The only cries you ever made was cries for people. Seven cries made on the cross was not one cry made for him. It was made for us. Is there any happiness in that? Not right then. All he knew, all he ever knew in all of his life, all he knew then, he was fulfilling the plan that was laid down before him. And he knew that even though there was joy in that fulfillment while flesh suffered, the Spirit cried out in joy. Why? Because with every drop of blood that came from that crown of thorns, every drop of blood that issued from the cuts and bruises on him. Every drop of blood that came from his hands and his feet, he could project and he could see that blood being shed for me and for you. And that made him happy. That made him rejoice. He could see the powers of hell crying out against him. He knew that if there's any possible way that powers of hell could have kept him off of the cross, they would have done. And he watched as humanity got a fresh chance 
And that's what made him glad. That's what made him happy. And that's what he's crying out to you and I. Our blood will not save one single person. And it's not supposed to. But he tells us, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Oh, I know what you say. He was talking about his crucifixion, and he was. But friend, that's how we lift him up. We show the world the cross of Christ. And we let them see his agony and the blood that was shed for them. And let them know. And when a soul comes into the kingdom of God, if our suffering reproach has brought that individual into God's house, that makes us happy. And if we know that we have suffered, we've witnessed and we've prayed an intercessory prayer and we've denied ourselves, it makes us happy to know that this was not for naught. Flesh is never going to find no happiness. Not lasting. And we as Christians have never find it looking for it in the wrong place. It's been right before us ever since we've been a Christian. It's been there. Every temptation, every tribulation, every storm in our life was a call from Jesus Christ to be happy and rejoice. Because this is going to make us a better person in realizing that. I don't mind the storms. If the voice of Christ is louder than the crack of the thunder and of the lightning. He said it would be. And he told us in closing, I put you in the ship. I told you it was going to the other side. I didn't tell you there wouldn't be any storms. I didn't tell you there wouldn't be any detours. But I did tell you that I'd take you through. Didn't he say that? I'll go with you all the way, even into the end of this world. I know our lives, our lives are up and down. I know this. I know sometimes the storms are so great that we just want to quit rolling. We're going to sink anyway. Why bother? I know this. I know this happens to all of us. But some way, God is trying to get our attention away from the storm and on His promise. And that comes right on down to David as he wrote, I would have fainted if I had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'll never know full happiness till the gates of that city swing open. I hear the voice of Jesus saying, Come on in, thou good and faithful servant. You've made it. Then I'll really know the fullness of happiness. But I can know a measure of it in this world if I look for it. Would you stand with me tonight? Would the musicians come and play just real softly just for a few moments?
I never know, of course. Especially from the looks of some of your faces, whether I get through to you or not. And that's not really my problem. It's not. My problem is finding what God wants and preaching it to you. I believe I've done that tonight. I try my best all the time, and there's a few times I fail. I know that. There are times, you know, what the Bible says about the fathers in the flesh discipline their children after their own anger and in their own anger. I realize in the course of my ministry that there's been times when I have administered discipline and it needed to be, but I did it because it did me good. God told us not to do that. And I try my best to follow that, and there will be times again that I will fail after my own enjoyment because I know you got it coming. And it was later on in life that I learned that that was the wrong way to discipline my children when I was raising them because I realized that they'd made me mad <laughs> and realized that they did the wrong thing and it was wrong. And it just did me some good just to administer discipline to them. God made me to realize that I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to discipline them all right, but it's supposed to bother me. It's supposed to hurt me. And that's what he asked of every minister. We're not superhuman and we do miss the boat. But it's out of heartfelt love for you and for God's people. Now we do it best to administer discipline because it's good for you. I don't want to see you lost. I don't want to see you after years of struggle fall by the wayside. And I know that we're probably in the most dangerous time that the church has ever been in. We're in a time of selfishness we're in a time of laxness. We're in a time of disturbances and rebellion. We're in a time when it doesn't seem to matter what God wants is what we want. And that's good, honest people caught up in a wave of this. And all the time God is asking for our life. Give me your life. Give me your whole life. And if you'll give it to me, I'll make it a worthy life. I'll make it a life that you can rejoice in. And I'll give you a life that you can shout in the storm. <laughs> you can be happy in the storm. Bow your heads just a few moments. Hallelujah. Now, if you would, would you just come tonight and stand? You've been able to rejoice during the storms of your life, fine. There are times when we can. Then take this opportunity just to pray for somebody else.
de campo. Aleluia. Aleluia. The dark clouds rise They don't worry me 